today we don't really got time for pretty intros we got to get right down to business what the hell is going on in the nba right now i don't even really know where to start i woke up this morning with like three different shams bombs and then it just kept going as the day has gone on so i guess we'll talk about them in the order that i found out about them first is the cp3 situation he tested positive for covid which means he's going to be in the protocols for probably seven to ten days it's not officially being reported how long he'll have to be out but chances are he's going to miss at least game one of the western conference finals even if clippers jazz ends up going seven now the good news is is that cp3 is vaccinated which means it could definitely uh shorten the amount of time that he has to isolate for but regardless uh his status for the start of the western conference finals is definitely up in the air now i don't really think that we have to talk about you know what impact that's going to have on the suns i think anyone listening to this podcast has a, has a, at least two brain cells they can figure out chris paul is really important for the sun so i'm not even going to get into that specifically I really want to talk more big picture and talk about the impact that this could have on the series. So obviously we don't know yet whether it's going to be the Jazz or the Clippers. We got some injuries to talk about in that series as well, which we'll get to. Um, but either way, it's going to be in a, a big uphill battle for the for the Suns, whether it's the Jazz or the Clippers in the next round. I think if CP3 only has to miss game one, they can survive without him. But if he misses more than one game, I think it really puts a huge load on Booker's shoulders that... I'm not sure he's going to be able to carry by himself. Cameron Payne has been good in in stretches through these playoffs, but I don't think he's enough to supplement the loss of Chris Paul. Guard play is going to have a huge impact in the Western Conference Finals no matter what the matchup is, and so when you lose the point guard, obviously you're going to take a big hit. No matter who you got behind him, it's not Chris Paul. I'm trying to avoid saying the obvious here. You know, in the absence of CP3, Devin Booker's going to have to step up. I think we all know that. I really don't think there's much analysis for me to give here. It really just comes down to how many games CP3 is going to miss. If it's one... I think the Suns can survive. But if it's more than one, then you really start getting into issues of, you know, not only are you missing CP3, but now you're going up and against an opponent that knows how you're going to play without CP3. Because when you're missing such a huge piece of your offense, the one positive you can take from that is that the other team doesn't quite know how to game plan for you the same. However, once you've played one game against the Suns without CP3, you can game plan for it much easier. And so if CP3 is going to miss more than one game, I don't know what sort of chances the Suns have in the Western Conference Finals. Now, the Suns do have in their back pocket, you know, the potential for a 50-point Devin Booker game or a 20-20 and 20 from DeAndre Ayton or Mikhail Bridges or Jay Crowder hits like seven threes. This team is loaded, so I don't think they're absolutely lost without Chris Paul. But again, I'm saying the obvious here. They aren't going to be as good without Chris Paul. It's just, it's just how it is. So obviously, super unfortunate for Chris Paul, for Suns fans, for basketball fans in general. I mean, we all know about CP3's history of bad luck in the playoffs. You just hate to see it. Hopefully he just misses game one and we can have the most competitive Western Conference Finals possible. However, if we look over to the Jazz Clippers series on the other side of the bracket, there's two major injuries that are going to have an impact on the rest of that series. So shortly after they reported CP3 being in the health and safety protocols, it was reported that Kawhi is now dealing with an ACL injury. It's not officially being reported as a torn ACL, but obviously any knee injury, especially for someone like Kawhi, is a huge deal. And for it to be an ACL thing is even worse. He's going to miss game five of this series, and it's highly doubtful that he's going to play at all in the rest of this series and beyond. There's currently no timetable for any return, but by all accounts, it doesn't seem like Kawhi's coming back for these playoffs. The injury that he suffered in game four that's causing him to now miss time didn't seem that bad in the moment, but obviously Kawhi's body has a lot of issues. His knees have been giving him problems for years now. He has a degenerative quad issue, so... The potential for something like this to happen was always there. It's just super unfortunate to see this happen, especially in combination with everything else that's going on in the NBA. And for Clippers fans specifically, because we know how unfortunate that franchise has been basically since their existence. They've had like three good seasons in their entire history. So 
This was a real shot for them at a title, and now it seems like that's just gone entirely. Game 5 will be super interesting to me though, because I really want to see how Paul George steps up as the clear number one option. He's not going to have a co-star next to him, and so I'm just curious to see how he performs, how, how he's able to step up to the plate, or if he's able to step up to the plate. Now, the Jazz are also dealing with an injury, obviously. Mike Conley has been out for the entire series, and he will not play in Game 5. I think if he were healthy for the start of this series, the Clippers probably didn't have a chance, considering the Jazz went up 2-0 without him. And the reason why the Clippers were able to get back into the series is because of the way they've defended Donovan Mitchell. But if they had Mike Conley on the floor, they wouldn't be able to defend Mitchell that way because it would just give Conley way too many opportunities. And so I think the Clippers got to feel really fortunate that Mike Conley will not be out there on the floor tonight because... If he were healthy, I honestly think the Jazz would run the Clippers off the floor without Kawhi. Now, they still might because, honestly, without Kawhi, I think the Clippers' offense could easily look pretty rudderless, especially against a really good Jazz defense. Um, Kawhi forcing Gobert onto switches and sort of forcing him to move away from the rim has been a huge boost for the Clippers' offense, and without that, I'm really not sure where they can go to for easy offense. Unless Paul George finally realizes hey, I'm 6'8 and one of the best athletes in the world and I should drive to the rim like every time. For whatever reason, he doesn't realize that and I could do a different podcast episode on that, which I probably will in the offseason. But unless Paul George realizes how good he is, then I don't see how the Clippers offense can survive in this game. Now, beyond just this series, I think Kawhi's injury is super concerning for a number of reasons. Obviously, he's been dealing with the quad issue ever since Zaza you know, stood under his jump shot back in 2017 and he's had knee issues. Does anyone think it's out of the realm of possibility that we've seen the last of Kawhi Leonard? Is it impossible that he decides to retire? You'd think about Kawhi Leonard. This guy has won multiple finals, multiple finals MVPs, multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards, multiple max contracts. He's only 29 years old, but considering the injuries he's dealt with and just where I think he's at in his career, I don't think it's impossible to think that Kawhi's going to retire, honestly. Now, yes, it did pain me to say that out loud. Kawhi's been one of my favorite players in the league since 2016, but I don't think it's impossible. I really think that's that's within the realm of possibility, without a doubt. And the tough thing is, if Kawhi retires, that's the last we're ever going to hear from him. I mean, we, we, he's going to make the Hall of Fame, so we'll see him hopefully have a nice Hall of Fame speech, but we're never going to hear from Kawhi after he retires. We hardly hear from him now when he's in the league. So I'm just going to stop talking about it now. I don't want to put any more of this energy into the world than I have to. But I, just, I had to mention it. I think it's definitely a possibility. But let's just move on. All right, guys. As I'm recording, we're getting even more breaking news. We got another Shams bomb. He just tweeted out, Mavericks GM Donnie Nelson and the franchise have decided to part ways. Wow. Um, I'm reacting to this live. I literally just read the tweet as I'm recording this now. Um, I think most of us read the story about uh, the guy that Mark Cuban hired. I don't know how to say his name, and I don't really want to try. But clearly there, there was some, some power struggles within the Dallas front office, and now the GM is leaving the franchise. Um, that, that's obviously huge news. I think it, it gives a whole lot of validity to the article that came out because I've heard some other people reacting to it and saying it's kind of overblown and this and that, whatever, trying to involve Luca in the article to get fans to care and this and that. I think this move right here proves that that article is entirely true. Now, what does that mean for the Mavericks franchise long term? I mean, I think Luka's going to sign the max extension. I don't see how he turns down $200 million. But long term, it could be an issue. Cl clearly, there, there's issues in the front office. And, you know, maybe Donnie Nelson stepping away can, can resolve those issues. But there's definitely something going on here. And I think it's something to monitor over the coming months and into the future. Now, I'm really curious to see what uh, that guy that Mark Cuban hired. Again, I'm not going to try to say his name, but... I'm curious to see what 
his role now is moving forward. Obviously, they're, they're going to replace Donnie Nelson with somebody, whether that be an outside hire or an internal promotion, whatever it might be. But I think the next step that the Mavericks take is going to be very telling in terms of how accurate that article was. There's not really too much else to say on this until we hear more, until we see what the, what the Mavericks do next. So we'll just move on to the next one. There's a lot to talk about. So after we found out about CB3 and health and safety protocols and Kawhi with his ACL injury, Woj tweeted out that Stan Van Gundy is out as the New Orleans Pelicans coach after just one season. I was expecting him to come back, honestly, but I would have been surprised if he finished next season. And the Pelicans just got a jump start on it. They they corrected their mistake. They realized it was the wrong hire and they got rid of him. So respect to them for realizing their mistake and not, you know, trying to drag it out. Because a lot of the times when teams make mistakes, whether it be, you know, signing a player to a contract that's too long or too big or hiring the wrong coach, they try and usually just like force the issue and try and like prove that they didn't make the wrong decision, even if they know that they did. So a lot of respect to the Pelicans for just cutting their losses here, recognizing that Stan Van Gundy was not the right coach for this team. I think Stan Van Gundy is a really good basketball mind. I think he understands the game really well, but there's so much more to it than that when it comes to coaching. We saw this with the Pacers. Nate Bjork, oh my God, I can't. Nate Bjork, Bjorkren, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, he He's a great basketball mind as well, but he was just unable to control the locker room, unable to lead the team. And I think Stan Van Gundy had a lot of the same issues. The Pelicans' defensive effort this season was... I mean, up and down, if I'm being generous, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of up, mostly just down. Um, their ability to close out games in the fourth quarter was terrible. I think they had the most fourth quarter blown leads in the league this year. I don't don't uh, fact check me on that, but they had a lot of struggles in the fourth quarter. They had a lot of close games that they weren't able to close out. And a lot of that points back to the coach. I'm hoping that the Pelicans go with a new hire, meaning like a first time head coach, you know, like an Ime Adoka or a David Vanterpool, one of these longtime assistants that has earned a head coaching job that they just haven't been given yet. Because one, I, I love to see that. I love when guys get an opportunity for the first time, like when Steven Silas got hired by the Rockets. I mean, super unfortunate that he got put in that situation, but I was really happy for him to finally get a head coaching job. And so I hope they hire a first time guy for that reason, but also because I think a lot of those guys are young and I think a young guy is probably the best hire for the Pelicans. It's a really young team, and the way that the NBA works now, you really have to be able to connect with your players on a personal level. And when you hire a 60-plus-year-old man who hasn't coached in the NBA for a decade, chances are he's not going to be able to connect with a 20-year-old Zion Williamson, a 22-year-old Lonzo Ball, 23-year-old Brandon Ingram. So hopefully they go with a, a more of a youthful hire because I think that's the best fit for them long-term. I think they need to get a defensive-minded coach that isn't afraid to also be creative offensively. I th they need someone that's going to, you know, pound the defensive fundamentals into that team, but also doesn't kill their offensive creativity. It's obviously a tough balance to find. Usually coaches lean one way or the other, but they have to find someone who can get them to buy in defensively while also not taking away from what they can do offensively. Because when you have a guy like Zion, your offensive ceiling is just so high, but you need to have the right coach in there to maximize that talent. I think the Pelicans have a really bright future. Just the roster right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I really still cannot believe that, for one, that they traded for Steven Adams, but then also gave him an extension. I kind of understood it in the moment. You know, Zion's pretty bad defensively right now in his career. And so giving him a guy like Steven Adams to sort of anchor the defense kind of makes sense, defensively at least. But giving him that extension was insane. I mean, he was already being overpaid for what his value is. And then the, the Pelicans decided to give him an extension of basically the same value for three more years. Very confusing to me. Um, I don't really know how they make that work long term. 
and I don't know if they're going to be able to find a trade partner. So that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Eric Bledsoe, they had to take when they when they traded Drew Holiday. I get that. Um, I, he's obviously not a good fit if they're going to keep Lonzo Ball. He's honestly not a good fit for any team that has you know big playoff aspirations because we've seen him in the playoffs. He just is half the player he is in the regular season. So they have some some roster tinkering to do. But in terms of a core, I mean, Zion is a stud. He's going to be a perennial all-star. I think Brandon Ingram is a tier below that, and I question maybe the fit of them two as like your one-two punch. But he's extremely talented. Worst case scenario, you can get a really good trade package for him if it really came to that. I think Lonzo is really good. I think they should re-sign him because I think he he pairs really well with Zion when when they're being used correctly. You know, I like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kyra Lewis Jr. I think Jackson Hayes has some potential. There's a lot of guys on this roster that I like. It's just as a whole from top to bottom, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So maybe within a year or two of tinkering with the roster, putting the right guys around Zion, getting the right coach in there that will implement the the correct philosophies for that team. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, And I'm glad that they moved on from Sam Van Gundy. I like SVG. Seems like a great guy by all accounts. He's a great basketball mind, but he was just not the right coach for this team. Now, the other coach departure that we saw today, I, I can't be so nice. I can't say that. He's a great basketball mind and this that Scott Brooks will no longer be the coach of the Wizards and I think all Wizards fans are rejoicing today and for good reason Scott Brooks has been the downfall of this team for a few years now I mean they weren't they haven't had great rosters but he definitely has not gotten the most out of those teams in the past few years I think this year was probably the most egregious um, considering they added Russell Westbrook and really did not improve whatsoever record-wise. They were still at the bottom of the, the Eastern Conference playoffs. Technically, I guess they did move up one seed by winning the play-in tournament. They were able to secure the eight seed. They were the nine seed last year. But obviously, you know, not enough improvement given that they essentially just added Russell Westbrook for nothing because John Wall wasn't playing prior. So a good move for the Wizards. Technically, he wasn't fired because his contract ran out and they just didn't agree to an extension. But the Wizards made the right move here by not bringing Brooks back. Hopefully they can hire someone with just an ounce of offensive creativity. Anyone who was a Thunder fan back in the days or is a Wizards fan now knows how plain and simple and almost non-existent Scott Brooks' offensive sets are. I think it's a big reason as to why KD ended up leaving the team is because down the stretch of close games when, when he was coaching the Thunder, there was no offensive sets being run whatsoever. It was give the ball to KD or give the ball to Russ and go figure it out. They had no off-ball movement. No, no screens and nothing. They had no creativity offensively, and that's carried over into his Wizards tenure as well. So I'm hoping they go after someone like a Mike D'Antoni or one of these offensive masterminds because given the talent that this Wizards offense has, I think they can be really special. They, they definitely need to add some defensive pieces. Hopefully Thomas Bryant can come back healthy and make, a, make an impact on that end. Hopefully Rui, Rui can improve defensively. Denny in his second season, hopefully uh, he can make an impact if he's healthy. But I think with a guy like Dan Tony coaching uh, Beal and Westbrook, that could be a really explosive offense. They already have one of the better offenses in the league. I think they finished eighth in offensive rating off the top of my head. But I think there's so much more potential for, for what this roster has. So I'm glad to see Scott Brooks is out the door. But if I were a Wizards fan, I wouldn't get too excited until they do hire someone else because they could very easily make the wrong hire and they're kind of just stuck in the same position. But I'm hoping for the best. I'm optimistic about it. I hope they can... They can bring in the right guy because I think this this roster has a lot of talent that isn't being maximized or hasn't been maximized. All right, so the last piece of breaking news, this was probably the least breaking of all the news because he's been out for the whole series, but Mike Conley will miss game five against the Clippers tonight. I kind of touched on it when I talked about Kawhi, but I want to go more in depth on it. 
So like I said, he hasn't played yet in this series, and that's been a big reason why the Clippers have been able to get back into it. Um, in the first two games in Utah, uh, it, it didn't really matter that he was gone because of how well Donovan Mitchell played, how well their shooters played. But once it, the series went back to L.A., the Clippers were able to figure them out a little bit, as Ty Lue tends to do. He takes a couple games to figure things out. Um, but he was able to figure things out. They were they were trapping Donovan Mitchell, they, you know, doubling him throwing all types of different looks at him and when he doesn't have another primary ball handler like Mike Conley to give the ball up to in those situations the Jazz offense just couldn't really create Jordan Clarkson has not really performed up to par so far really throughout the playoffs but specifically in this series and so in the absence of Mike Conley uh, Donovan Mitchell just doesn't really have anyone to give the ball to that can reliably create offense Joe Ingles is solid don't get me wrong I think he's a good secondary playmaker but he's not Mike Conley Um, I think Joe Ingles can create a lot create a lot of offense for you especially as someone who comes off of your bench but again he's not Mike Conley he doesn't provide the same level of of shot creation so again I, I talked about this when we were talking about Kawhi I think if Mike Conley was healthy for the series the Jazz might just run the Clippers off the floor because they would just have no answer for the Jazz offense if Donovan Mitchell had Conley to pass the ball to but honestly I do think the Jazz have a good chance in the series because Kawhi's not going to play and that debatably gives the Jazz the best player on the floor because if you guys remember the the playoff preview episode that I did talking about each team the one thing I I pointed to with the Jazz that made me nervous a little bit was the fact that there weren't very many series where they were going to have the best player on the floor because I didn't think that Donovan Mitchell was that level of player well for one he's elevated himself to that level of player he he's much better than I gave him credit for about a month ago and also there's no more Kawhi um, especially for this game but probably for the rest of the series and so you know, I, I don't think it's too much to expect Donovan Mitchell to outperform Paul George given both of their playoff histories. Donovan Mitchell, one of the few players that elevates his play in the playoffs, whereas we all know about Paul George. I'm not even going to get into it. So I think the Jazz are sitting pretty right now, even even without Mike Conley. And so him being out isn't really the end of the world like it is Kawhi being out for the Clippers. So I do like the Jazz chances in the series at this point, And I think Given the extra rest, hopefully Mike Conley can get healthy and be ready for the Western Conference Finals. If I'm being completely honest as an NBA fan, I hope Mike Conley doesn't come back until Chris Paul comes back. Just in fairness, just in all fairness, I think that, that, that you know, that's even. You know, Chris Paul is better than Mike Conley, but, you know, I think that's fair. Just hold him out until Chris Paul comes back. Why not? Man, Jazz fans are going to hate me. Anyway, all right, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. This has been a crazy day in the NBA. Make sure you guys subscribe, rate five stars, do all the things that podcasters tell you to do. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.